You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. VPN filter described by Cisco's Talos Research Unit looks like battle space preparation for Fancy Bear. The FBI may have succeeded in impeding its operation. Dragos describes Xenotime, the threat actor behind the Trisis industrial safety system attacks, and they say we can expect them back. GDPR is coming tomorrow, and a company has found a way of letting worried CISOs sleep at night. And your right to follow the real Donald Trump on Twitter has now been secured by the U.S. Federal Court for the Southern District of New York. So you got that going for you, which is nice. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, May 24th, 2018. Cisco's Talos Research Unit yesterday reported its discovery of VPN Filter, a modular and stealthy attack that's assembled a botnet of some 500,000 devices, mostly routers located in Ukraine. There's considerable code overlap with the black energy malware previously deployed in attacks against Ukrainian targets, and the U.S. government has attributed the VPN Filter campaign to the Sophocy threat group, also known as Fancy Bear, or Russia's GRU Military Intelligence Service. It's believed that VPN filter has been quietly out there for nearly two years. Its precise infection mechanisms aren't entirely clear, but consensus holds that it established itself by exploiting known vulnerabilities left unpatched and by gaining its entree into devices by taking advantage of weak or default passwords. The malware is regarded as sophisticated, It can use any one of three redundant means of communicating with its command and control servers through the PhotoBucket photo sharing site, through a hard-coded domain, knowtoall.com, and finally, if all else fails, a fallback direct connection from the attackers to the compromised device itself. Cisco notes that the malware moves through a three-stage process. In stage one, VPN filter installs itself in such a fashion as to survive device reboots and to discover the IP address of the Stage 2 deployment server. In Stage 2, it downloads malware to the affected device. That malware can collect and exfiltrate files and data, as well as manage the device and execute code on it. Stage 3 involves installation of plugins. Researchers have analyzed two of them. One sniffs and collects traffic passing through the device, and the other enables communication via the Tor network. Researchers believe it likely that VPN Filter has more Stage 3 plugins that have yet to be isolated and analyzed. Thus, the malware has complex functionality and the ability to carry any number of malicious payloads. One interesting capability is destruction of infected devices, although researchers believe this is probably intended for use once VPN Filter's cover is blown. The devices affected include routers from Linksys, 
Microtik, Netgear, and TP-Link. It also affects QNAP network storage devices, and researchers are looking for infestations in other devices. Ukrainian cybersecurity authorities think, and a lot of others agree with them, that Russia was gearing up a major cyber attack to coincide with a soccer league championship match scheduled this Saturday in Kiev as part of the run-up to the World Cup. They also think it possible an attack could be timed for Ukraine's Constitution Day, June 28th. The botnet is adaptable enough to serve a variety of disruptive purposes. Its black energy cousin, for example, appeared in conjunction with earlier attacks on Ukraine's power grid. Talos's Craig Williams told Wired that, quote, This actor has half a million nodes spread out over the world, and each one can be used to control completely different networks if they want. It's basically an espionage machine that can be retooled for anything they want, end quote. VPN Filter has been under investigation by U.S. authorities since August when a Pittsburgh resident agreed to let the local FBI field office inspect her router. Infected with what at the time was characterized simply as Russian malware and to put a network tap on her router to monitor traffic passing through it. On Tuesday, the FBI obtained a warrant from a U.S. federal magistrate that enabled it to seize control of toknowall.com. Thus, the Bureau has taken over the key node that enables VPN filter to re-establish itself after the infected device was rebooted. U.S. authorities hope this will cripple the campaign. The Justice Department says that VPN filter could be used for, quote, intelligence gathering, theft of valuable information, destructive or disruptive attacks, and the misattribution of such activities, end quote. So while it's early to cry victory, bravo Cisco and bravo to the FBI, especially the Pittsburgh office, cozy and fancy, don't even think about snuffling through the steel city. Since this obviously involves at least the potential for cyber war, it's worth noting that Britain's Attorney General has this week said that a massive cyber attack could constitute an act of war, and that a nation so attacked had the right to self-defense. This is either, as the peace-loving Putinists at Sputnik suggest, a bloodthirsty provocation just shy of dropping the SAS into Red Square, or, as the lads and lasses at the register think, a threat to give you another good talking to, only louder. We hope things quiet down in cyberspace. As we install more smart devices with cameras and microphones in our homes, offices, and vehicles, there are understandable concerns about the ability to leverage those devices for eavesdropping. Researchers at security firm Checkmarks took a closer look at Amazon's Alexa smart assistant and came up with a clever way of listening in. Erez Yalon is an application security research manager at Checkmarks. The only way to do it was actually to create an eavesdropping malicious uh, Amazon application. Amazon application is known as, a, as Alexa skill. Um, this is something that can be either built in in the, in the Alexa device or you can find uh, other other skills in the Amazon skills store. Uh, it was decided to use uh, a malicious uh, skill. And then without you knowing, record everything you say in the room. What the researchers in Checkmarks did was to create what looks like a calculator skill. The benign uh, skill is actually working. I mean, it actually did give, gave us the answer for uh, whatever uh, calculation 
uh, we gave it to run. But unlike other built-in or benign uh, skills, it didn't stop listening when the response was given. It, it was keep on listening to what we, we were saying, transcribing it and sending it to the attackers, which were us. So take us through, uh, how did you get this skill to perform this task? The first thing uh, we needed to address was that after Alexa is giving a response, the session ends. We wanted to make sure that it keeps listening. So there is a flag uh, in Alexa. Uh, it's called should end session. You flag it when you want to session to stay alive for another cycle. We figured that if we can make Alexa still be live and listening for endless cycles, we could eavesdrop for as much time as we want. When you invoke Alexa, there's a time limit on the amount of time that the device will listen before it prompts you to speak some more. Is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. It's the time limit, and also it makes sure you said the correct thing. We found out that we could actually create an empty reprompt, which means that the reprompt would be silent. Um, this brought us to the point that we have endless cycles, which between them, the reprompt is silent, and the user cannot know that another cycle of listening just started. So is there a limit to the length of, uh, of a transcription that you will get? Is it a situation where as long as someone keeps talking, you'll keep getting that transcription? No, there is absolutely no limit. We tested it. just keeps on recording, keeps on transcribing. We didn't hit any limit in our tests. You have worked with Amazon to uh, close up this uh, vulnerability. What was their response to your research? The response was amazing, and I'm saying that uh, with my experience of disclosure to many other vendors and developers, we disclosed it to, uh, to Amazon Lab 126. We worked closely with them. They were uh, extremely proactive. They mitigated the risk and actually went the extra mile. What they did was very interesting. They, first of all, added some criteria to identify uh, this, uh, what we call eavesdropping skills during certification. Every skill that goes up to the, to the Amazon store goes through some sort of process of certification. We don't really know what that is, but as far as we know from Amazon, um, it didn't check this uh, specific eavesdropping uh, features. So now it should check them. Um, the second thing they did was they're going to try and detect empty reprompts uh, and take uh, appropriate actions when they find them. Um, this would actually be enough to mitigate what we found. Um, but Amazon decided to go, uh, as I said, the extra mile, very uh, uh, proactive, and they decided to detect longer than usual sessions uh, in future skills and take the appropriate actions. Uh, this means that if a future researcher or hacker attacker um, will find another way to, to eavesdrop. Um, even if he doesn't use the exact mechanism we did, probably the detection of longer than usual session uh, will raise a red flag. That's Erez Yalon from Checkmarks. You can learn more about their research into the Amazon Alexa on their website. Dragos has an update on Xenotime, the threat actor behind the Trisis malware used to disable Schneider Electric Triconics instrumented industrial safety systems. The Trisis attack last December disrupted operations at a Middle Eastern petrochemical facility. Targeting safety systems represents a dangerous escalation in attack patterns. Dragos is moderately confident that Xenotime means we should be prepared for further campaigns.
Although its initial targets were located in the Middle East, there's little reason to think that the threat actor will confine its operations to that region. Dragos believes Xenotime operates worldwide and has no known connections to other threat groups. They also probably have capabilities that enable them to work against systems other than the already targeted Schneider Triconics. Xenotime's objectives are clearly disruption, not espionage. The threat actor establishes itself in systems where it can cause future disruption or destruction. Their earlier attempt back in December wasn't fully successful. As Dragos explains, quote, The group created a custom malware framework and tailor-made credential gathering tools, but an apparent misconfiguration prevented the attack from executing properly. As Xenotime matures, it's less likely that the group will make this mistake in the future. End quote. GDPR comes into full effect tomorrow, attended by much advice for enterprises. A lot of people have said they're losing sleep over the data protection regulation and its hefty fines. One enterprising company in the UK has a cure for that. Calm, a firm that specializes in providing a range of soothing noises for relaxation, meditation, and sleep, has realized that the text of the General Data Protection Regulation is so stupefying that it can do you more good than counting sheep or listening to white noise. They've added once upon a GDPR to their soothing repertoire and engaged Peter Jefferson to read it. Mr. Jefferson is famous in the UK as the BBC's Voice of the Shipping Forecast, a maritime weather report that became known as Britain's unofficial national lullaby. Finally, the U.S. Federal Court for the Southern District of New York says President Trump can't block you from his Twitter feed. It's a First Amendment issue. So your right to see and comment on at the real Donald Trump is secure. The president, of course, is under no legal compulsion to pay attention to your comments. So don't get cocky, kids. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. 
Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Dr. Clancy, welcome back. Um, We've seen stories coming by recently about um, the ability to locate mobile devices uh, and specifically some of the cellular providers selling off that data. Um, you know, that was interesting to me was, I guess I never really thought it through, the, the notion that even if I have my GPS turned off, that sort of by design, these systems need to know my location. Uh, of course. Uh, in order for you to receive an incoming phone call, uh, the network needs to know which tower to route that call to in order to reach your phone. The, the networks typically don't know where you are 100% of the time. They only uh, sort of know where you are when they need to complete a call or you need to complete a call or, or complete some sort of data transaction. Whenever you initiate any sort of data service or phone call, the, the, phone, uh, the, the towers obviously have to know where you are, and they record that information uh, in, their, uh, in their records. And similarly, if uh, you have an inbound call or inbound data, then they will use this, this system called a paging channel to try and find you uh, and then would record your location in their logs as part of that. Now, is there any sort of uh, triangulation going on here? Are multiple towers uh, sort of comparing notes to to, to decide uh, who will best serve you? Uh, No. In fact, the networks do not do that. Currently, the networks only record the ID of the cell sector that you're communicating with, which, particularly in rural areas, could be a very large area, but in urban areas can be a very small area. The the triangulation feature only kicks in um, if you were to, for example, dial 911, and the E911 system was to kick in and perform a more precise location of you. But right now, the carriers are only allowed to do that if you dial 911. Oh, that's interesting. So, so in terms of uh, the accuracy of being able to, uh, to pinpoint where someone is, what's a reasonable expectation of what these systems are capable of? So, again, in, a, in an urban environment where you have uh, maybe a cell tower every 500 meters, um, you could imagine an accuracy uh, to within a few hundred meters, a few hundred yards perhaps. Uh, again, in a rural area, though, you may have a, a cell site that's on the top of a mountain uh, that's providing coverage to a valley below. And there it could be tens of kilometers of, of uh, location uncertainty associated with those measurements. And in terms of, of just a policy uh, situation here, is this another example where uh, perhaps the policy needs to catch up with the technology? Um, that's a great question. Certainly, law enforcement uses this feature now. Um, so, if they have a, an ongoing case, uh, they can uh, serve a warrant on a cell phone company and and retrieve those records and use that as part of their case. It's important to have that information. Uh, it's also important, generally, for for accounting purposes for the for the cell phone carriers. I think the real policy question is under what circumstances can they sell that information, and should the consumer have the ability to opt out of of that kind of sale or not. All right. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye on it as it develops. Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And that's the CyberWire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.